Good morning. It's great to be with you again like this. Would you please uh, open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And I will be reading from verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountain, a great crowd followed him. And immediately a leper came to him and bowed before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, he touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift which Moses prescribed as a witness to them. When he went into Capernaum, a centurion came to him, beseeching him and saying, Lord, my boy has been laid low in the house with paralysis and he suffers greatly. And he said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion answered him, saying, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but just say a word and my boy will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. Jesus was amazed and in response said to those who followed him, Truly I say to you, I found faith like this with no one in Israel. I tell you that many from east and west will come and recline with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be cast into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to the centurion, Go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his boy was healed in that hour. When Jesus came to the house of Peter, he saw his mother-in-law lying down feverish. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and waited on them. When evening came, they brought to him many of the demon-possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all those who were sick. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our weaknesses and bore our diseases. Why don't we pray together? Our Father, as we look at your word this morning, we pray that you might open our eyes to see Jesus for who he is, to understand ourselves and the world in which we live for what it is, and to be faithful followers of him who laid down his life for us. Please teach us, reprove us, correct us, train us in righteousness so that we might be faithful followers of Jesus, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, each one of us knows how intensely personal sickness and disease really is. We might be incredibly confident among our friends and public. We might give off a sense of competence and control, and yet when disease strikes... It exposes our weakness and our vulnerability, doesn't it? Whether it be the Ebola outbreak uh, that we've been reading about in DR Congo this week, a public health emergency of international concern, says the World Health Organisation, or fracturing a tiny bone in your foot. I did that a couple of weeks ago on the very last day of study leave. <laughs> you might be able to uh, talk about it in the abstract, but when it touches you... Uh, that's something else. 
And, of course, sickness and disease are things none of us can avoid. It might be less prevalent when we are young and more regular when we are older. It might hit us suddenly without warning and remind us of our mortality in a startling, frightening moment. Or it might stalk us, lurking in the background of the very ordinary, everyday events of our lives. But there, nevertheless, and we try desperately not to think about it. But sickness, disease and ultimately death are isolating, deeply personal, inevitable realities. You can be surrounded by people and yet seem alone because you are the one going through it. C.S. Lewis famously wrote that suffering is like a megaphone, interrupting the rhythm of life to insist we face the fact that all is not right in this world and all is not right with us. We can easily nod our assent to the truth that the world is fallen and that we are imperfect, yet we need to do more than just nod our assent. And the arresting, painful interruption of suffering on every scale insists that we take serious notice of our condition and of our need. Now, where might you be this morning? Most of us seem robustly healthy. Some of us can even run a marathon and live to tell the tale. (laughs) Perhaps you'd never really yet had the chance or the need to call upon your health insurance. You're not oblivious to sickness and the fragility of life, but it hasn't really touched you all that much yet. The odd cold here or there, the occasional sports injury that, well, healed up pretty quickly, really. But for some of us, the story will be very different. We know the reach of serious sickness and disease. It might even be a very present reality for you right now. And if it isn't for you personally, you might be very close to someone for whom it is. And the megaphone is on full bore. And you hear that there is something deeply, terribly wrong in our world and in our experience. In the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, again and again, the link is made between the work of saving us from sin and judgment, the judgment that we deserve, and his overcoming of sickness and disease and death. One of the very first descriptions of Jesus' ministry in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 4, tells us that he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Why do you think that is? Why that connection between salvation and healing? It is a demonstration of his power, a kind of proof of his claim to authority, In the story of the paralytic lowered through the roof in Matthew 9, the next chapter, Jesus raised that man so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. You want to know what right I have to say, my son, your sins are forgiven? Well, take a look at this and realise that the Son of Man has authority, God's authority to do this. It's also an inbreaking of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, After all, the message Jesus brought from the very start was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The great promise of God's people in God's place 
under God's rule, the fullness of all the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God means it is drawn close and here you get a taste of it. And yet, friends, there's something more. And the passage I've just read from Matthew 8 points us to that something more. And we who are touched now or will be touched in the future by sickness, disease and death need to know that something more. Well, Jesus had just come down from the mountain. He'd been up on the mountain, really just a bunch of hills. But he was up on the mountain and there had taught his disciples what true blessedness, true discipleship looks like. And it had all boiled down in the end to that magnificent parable of the two houses. Remember it? The one built on the rock and the one built on the sand. When all is said and done, there are only really two ways to live. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. Lives directed and transformed by the gospel word that Jesus brings or lives that insist on deciding their own direction and setting their own pattern of behaviour. And the result in one case will be, Jesus says, stability and safety and salvation, even in the midst of the toughest storm. And the result in the case of the other will be disaster. And at the end of that sermon... Just before Jesus heads down the mountain, we're told the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now hold on to that thought for a moment. Because we're about to see just what kind of authority that really was. And how Jesus was determined to exercise it. Coming down from the mountain, we're faced with these three healings. The healing of the leper the healing of the centurion's servant and the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. And then that night in which many were brought to him to be healed and delivered from demons. And let's look at each of those briefly and see what Matthew wants us to make of them. Firstly, the healing of the leper. Like each of the people in these three incidents, this man is on the margins of Israelite society. In a world terrified of this dreadful disease and being infected by it, He would have been quarantined, isolated from the rest of the community. He'd have to announce his approach so that others could scatter and not be in danger of infection. But this man does something extraordinary. He comes to Jesus. In that context, it really was extraordinary, risky, audacious, extraordinary. The very picture of what it meant to be unclean, a leper, approaching a holy man, the teacher from Nazareth. And it gets more extraordinary still. He knelt or bowed before Jesus. It's it's the word that in other contexts is used for worship. And though we don't need to read all that this suggests into this particular encounter, it is nevertheless intriguing. But nothing is more extraordinary than what he then says to Jesus. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What led him to that conclusion, do you think? How did he know that it was not a matter of Jesus' power and authority? Of course he could heal him. 
How did he know that everything rested on Jesus' will? If you are willing, you can make me clean. Perhaps he'd seen or heard of the other healings earlier in the gospel and concluded if he could do it for them, then he can do it for me. But then he remembered he was who he was, an outcast, one kept at a distance from everybody else, a leper. Of course Jesus could do it. The real question is whether he would. Would he cross that line? Would he stand with this man? Would he risk infection and everything else? Would Jesus heal him? The leper knew that he was coming with no guarantees, no promise, nothing to ensure that Jesus would even listen, let alone do more. But still he came and said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Well, if coming to Jesus was a risky move, that was nothing compared to what Jesus did next. And in Mark's account of this healing, we're told why he did it. He looked at the man who came to him and who said these words and he had compassion on him. The word is that that powerful word for that emotion that comes from deep down inside a person, so real and deep that it's almost physical. We'd call it visceral, wouldn't we? He had compassion and he reached out his hand and he touched him. Under normal circumstances with a normal person, that touch of someone unclean would, made, would have made the person who touched them unclean. But not with Jesus. Nothing is left unclean at Jesus' touch. It's one of my favourite encounters with Jesus in the Gospels. The man who had no doubt that Jesus could heal him but wondered whether he would. And the compassion of the one who refuses to stand at a distance but comes up close and touches him and immediately, at that very moment, he is made clean. I am willing. Be clean. The healings of Jesus reveal the heart of Jesus. They show us one who comes up close, who loves so deeply and knows so truly what is going on that he knew how much that touch would mean to that man. That man who had not been touched by another human being perhaps for such a long time. And Jesus didn't have to touch him, did he? The one who upholds everything by the word of his power, he didn't have to reach out and he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to touch that man. He could have just said, be cleansed. But something astonishing was happening at that moment as Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. You want to know whether I'm willing? Of course I'm willing. Be clean. Jesus' focus was entirely on that man at that moment. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone who you're sure is on the lookout from the very beginning of the conversation for someone else to talk to? Uh, it's clear you don't have their attention. You really haven't captured their interest. You know, it's infuriating. You know, I've been there. I'm sure you have too. It was never like that with Jesus. I think the instruction to this man to tell no one, just to go to the temple and do what you must to re-enter the mainstream of Jewish society, I think that instruction was more than just an attempt to keep things quiet. 
and stop stirring up the crowd. I think it was more than just another indication that Jesus was not overthrowing the law of Moses but fulfilling it. I think it had to do with his singular focus on this man at that moment. This is not about marketing or publicity. This is not about drawing attention to what he was doing. It was about this man, a moment ago a leper, but now the one who has heard Jesus say, I am willing, be clean. Well, the second of the three healings is the healing of the centurion's boy or servant. It happened as Jesus entered Capernaum. And once again, this man approached Jesus and he's one of those on the fringes of acceptable society. He's a soldier, a centurion, a Gentile servant of Herod or Pilate or one of the other overlords who oppressed the people. The clink of his armour, the sword at his side, it said it all. But this man had a servant, a young boy who'd been struck down with paralysis and was suffering terribly. And he pleads the situation before Jesus. And those who were watching must have been thinking, will he cross this line? Will he stand with this man? And the response of Jesus again raises questions. Shall I come and heal him? Jesus asks. Is that what you want me to do? Shall I come to your house and heal him? And then that remarkable response from the centurion. No, don't come. I am not worthy You are too important and I am too ordinary. Worse, I'm far too outside. But you don't need to come. Just say the word. I know how authority works. Just say the word. It will happen, it must happen, if you just say the word. What do you think led him to that conclusion? Jesus had done no long-distance healings to that point in the Gospel. What made this man think he could ask and Jesus could bring it about with just a word, even from a distance? Well, Jesus himself gives us the answer, doesn't he? I found faith like this with no one in Israel. Faith, trust, leaving behind self-confidence and effort and assertion and all the rest, knowing there is no hope, no other place to go, no other person to trust except Jesus. This man understood that Jesus bore the authority of God, the God who called the entire universe into existence with a word. He speaks and things change because his words are the words of the one who sent him. And he trusted the one who spoke those words. The thing is, Jesus contrasts that trust with the failure to trust his words that he saw all around him. It's astonishing. Those who should have heard and rejoiced and believed refused to come in the end, refused to ask, and rank outsiders, like this centurion, like the other centurion, Cornelius in Acts, like you and me if we call out to him. Rank outsiders come and sit with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the great feast on the last day because nothing is too much for Jesus. The healings reveal the heart of Jesus but they also reveal his authority. They show that the one who has compassion is the one who commands the universe. 
His authority is complete and entire and absolute. The distance to this young boy, however many stadia or kilometres he was away, it was no obstacle. The disease itself was no obstacle. I mean, your authority only extends so far. Other people's authority might extend a bit further. The Prime Minister's authority reaches further still. But Jesus' authority had no limit, no end, no beginning. All he had to do was say the word, go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Well, the third of the healings is of Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus had come down the mountain and encountered the leper. He had entered Capernaum and encountered the centurion. He arrived at the house, Peter's house, and encountered his mother-in-law. She'd been laid low by a fever. And in those days, there was very little that could bring a temperature down. Fever might seem innocuous at first, and it might pass, but it could descend quite rapidly into something far more sinister, and in the first century, fever would more often lead to death than anything else. The leper had come to Jesus, you might remember. He took the initiative. The centurion had come to Jesus on behalf of his servant. The centurion, and not the servant, had taken the initiative on that occasion But in this third case, it is Jesus who came to the house. It is Jesus who noticed Peter's mother-in-law and it is Jesus who took the initiative to heal her. He saw her lying there. He was told it was a fever and he touched her hand and she was well and she got up to serve them. As a woman, like the leper and the centurion, she would have been excluded from the centre of Jewish life. There were signs that said this far and no further whenever her family went to the temple. But once again, Jesus crosses a line. He does not let that reality become an obstacle that keeps him from reaching out to her. He refuses to stand at a distance. He crossed that line to heal a woman and he stood with her. The leper had a disease that everyone could see and everyone knew was life-threatening. It seems he'd had it for some time. The centurion's boy had fallen ill, but it was serious paralysis and terrible suffering. Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. It might be life-threatening. It might not. Certainly on a different scale to that of the paralysis and distress of the boy or the leprosy of the man. Three healings, very different. Three people to be healed in very different situations. What do they mean? What do they tell us about Jesus and what he came to do? What do they say about suffering and disease and death? Well, the clue to what all this means comes at the very end as Matthew describes the night of healings in verse 16 and 17. When evening came... They brought to him many of the demon-possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all those who were sick. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our weaknesses and bore our diseases. 
when the sun had set, the crowd came and he healed them, not just ones or twos this time, but a crowd. They crowded about him. The word had got out. Perhaps the one-time leper or the centurion's household had spread the word around. But however they found out, they came and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all those who were sick. And having recorded this remarkable series of healings, Matthew leaves us with these words, so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, he took our weaknesses and bore our diseases. These are words from Isaiah 53 the great servant song, the song of the suffering servant who, despised and rejected, is led like a lamb to the slaughter who bears the sin of many. The words actually appear just a little way into the song. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Matthew translates the Hebrew words for griefs and sorrows with Greek words that mean illnesses and diseases. The sin and guilt and shame and iniquity that were carried by the servant. This is seen in vivid colours as Jesus took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Salvation from sin and healing from disease are drawn close and kept together. In the end, you see, the healings do more than prove who Jesus is and give evidence of the inbreaking kingdom. Yes, they do show us the heart of Jesus and the authority of Jesus, But more than that, they are the saving authority of Jesus at work. Sin and all its consequences are borne by him. And at one point or another, for each of us, those consequences include the intensely personal and devastating realities of sickness, disease and death. Yet he crossed the line and drew close. He has refused to remain at a distance when things are crumbling around us. The leper, the centurion, Peter's mother-in-law and the many who were healed and delivered that night, they knew only part of it because with his stripes we are healed. They were healed through his life. We are healed fully and finally by his death. He came to deal with it all. He came to bear it all. He doesn't just talk about discipleship. He doesn't just direct discipleship. He draws near to disciples and walks with them when the wind is howling and the storm is raging and the megaphone is in full use. Jesus was not just interested in challenging those around him to a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. He did that, and that was heard through the powerful sermon of the previous chapters. He is interested, powerfully engaged with, not only the defeat of sin, but all its consequences as well. So when, now or later, you are reminded how frail 
and mortal you really are. You can know this too. This intrusive, confronting, levelling thing matters to him too. And he not only draws close in the midst of it, but will carry you through to a day when forgiveness and new life are experienced to the full, but where all pain and suffering and disease and even death are gone forever. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray for such a view of Jesus as you would have us have, the one who loves so intimately and deeply the one who does not stand at a distance but has drawn close. Please help us to know, to trust, to love and delight in him. For this we ask in his name. Amen.